Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Lauren Lawson, who is the CTO at HireVue. If you don't know about HireVue and you're working in HR technology and recruiting, I kind of wonder where you've been. HireVue is the is the strongest, longest-lasting startup in this era of startups, and they pioneered the video interviewing space and took a fascinating detour towards assessment a couple of years ago. Lauren, how are you this morning? I'm great, John. I'm really excited to be here to chat. Yeah, thanks. Would you take a, a couple of minutes and introduce yourself, please? Yeah, so uh, I'm the Chief Technology Officer here at HireVue. I've been here about seven years, uh, and it's been a really fun fun experience to, to get involved in uh, HR technology. I came from a background of building sort of network infrastructure gear and doing live video and internet television, online film distribution, and when I met Mark Newman, who um, founded HireVue, it was... Working in HR was never something I had really thought much about and thought probably I would never do that. Um, but I've always been in these organizations where you're trying to hire really great teams of people relatively quickly, and it's incredibly hard work. And I got really sort of mesmerized by the opportunity to help change that and apply video to that. Um, and it's been it's been really fun. So you've been the CTO there for seven years and that's at a time when the CTO's role has been changing dramatically and the technology that that the technical group inside a company like Hireview has been just really radically shifting and, and rapidly. Um, what what have you learned by dancing in front of that windstorm? <laughs> um, well, yeah, it's been a really interesting time for technology. Uh, obviously, we've had major changes in the, sort of the underlying technology that uh, we build systems from. Building software has become easier. There has been fascinating changes in data privacy and data security. Uh, you know, the kinds of regulations and rules that our customers require of us and uh, when they trust us with their data uh, has evolved a ton. We've got GDPR coming up uh, in the EU. So it's been, it's been really interesting. I, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but um, you know it's, it's a and, and of course the shift to sort of everything being machine learning and AI is pretty fascinating as well. I, I imagine you guys were actually relative pioneers in that area because the 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 essence of of higher view is that you aggregate what in the beginning of your existence were huge amounts of data, video files. Seven years ago, video files were massive drains on storage capacity, um, and 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 I assume the first problems that you had to think about were storage and recovery, so that you could process video files effectively over time. And now storage has gotten so cheap that that's that's a second tier problem, and the processing of the data is where um, these these intelligent machine technologies start to really make a difference. So, so you've had to shift almost as the technology shifted to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, it's been, I mean, obviously the cloud has been a big enabler of that. When I started at HireVue, we were, there were sort of two servers in a data center. One did video and one did the, the web and a database. And we were pretty sure if one of those servers crashed, we could get the whole system running on one of the servers. Um, 
And we moved early to towards Amazon Web Services and hosting in the cloud, which has made storage very scalable. It's really easy to just say we need more storage, and it's there, um, which makes building a business out internationally um, much, much easier than it's ever been before. That, that's great. So, so one of the things people think about video interviewing is, is there's, there's, there's a pretty broad range of concern and opinion about bias and, and video and whether or not you can control bias in a way that stops you from violating regulations about discrimination. And I, I, I take it that you guys are pioneers in that, in that arena. Yeah, I think we, we, we like to think that we are. And I think it's probably useful to take a step back and just think about video interviewing and then separating that out from kind of the, the machine decisions. Because I think there's a lot of concern, rightfully so, about algorithmic bias and are these algorithms that we don't always understand uh, making bias worse or propagating bias that we have today. We've always felt that just doing a video interview is a way to increase diversity and reduce bias. Uh, and sometimes people think, well, you're going to see a video of the person, whereas before you just saw a resume, isn't that worse? And what we find with video interviewing is that it creates structure. So everybody's getting asked the same questions for the same job, which is quite rare in any other format. Um, it's giving people a chance to showcase themselves in a way that's much richer than a resume. So in a resume, you get you know these certain data points, and you can look at their, their name and their address and where they went to school and their GPA which is you know, rife with bias. Um, but when somebody gets to tell their story on video about what their passions are, what their aspirations are, what they've done in the past, and they can answer questions that are almost job simulations about here's how I would respond in this situation, it's a much richer way for someone to describe themselves than in just a resume, which may, may or may not be accurate and may or may not have been written by them. Um, and then when you can let people interview anytime they want, anywhere they want, um, you get a bigger pool. You can in include more people. You know, the, the working mom who would have to travel across town and take time off of work, if she can get time off of work, um, and, and not get dock pay or find childcare, can interview now at 8 p.m. instead of watching Dancing with the Stars on her living room couch. Like, that opens up the number of people that can be included or considered for a position. So, we found that reduces bias and increases the diversity of candidate pools to start with. Um, and then when you start to apply algorithms, and we can talk sort of how the genesis of that, um, but the whole idea of the algorithms was, can we start to, well, let me back up. So once you start to include more people, our customers are like, this is incredible. We've got more people we can include. But then they had a problem that they had to watch so many video, video interviews. And we also realized that people aren't always great at evaluating talent. We're inconsistent. We have biases around GPA and school and appearance, frankly. Um, so what we wanted to do was build an algorithm that could look at these interviews and not say, who would I like or who would you like, because we're flawed. We're biased human beings. It's just the nature of being human. But can the machine look at all the things happening in that interview to predict who would be successful in the job? And by focusing on you know, having a structured set of questions that everyone's answering and then you know, tying that to actual job performance, that eliminates a lot of the biases that are present in any human evaluation. Does that make sense? Sure it does. So, so let's jump into the, to the AI question. You know, that's my, 
That's my favorite thing these days. Um, Because <laughs> um, because you there's there's almost a matrix of possibilities for the next step of this conversation, right? We could talk about converting video data into um, assessment indicators, or we could talk about um, the things that you have to do to intelligently assess the content of of an interview. Um, but but you've 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 under your watch, there's been an extraordinary blossoming of of AI at HireVue. So so how big is the group, if you segregate it, that does AI at HireVue? Yeah, so we have a we have a team of about um, sort of five data data scientists who have a background in math and data. Um, most of them are PhDs, physics PhDs, engineering PhDs, who sort of brought this machine learning and AI knowledge to our team. Um, and we started out with kind of a very machine learning centric view of the world about, can we just pull all this data out of the interview and predict performance? And then we realized like there's actually this field called industrial organizational psychology out there that um, has learned a lot in the last 50 years, 60 years of, of building assessments and around selection. And so we built a really great IO team as well led by Nathan Mondragon, who's been around the space forever, and we've built a great team there. So we have five IOs and five data scientists who are all working together um, to kind of apply the best of the latest and greatest in machine learning with you know the historical learnings in IO. And then we have a team of five to 10, it's about 10 people now uh, on the software engineering side, productizing all of this into you know a product that our customers can use every day. Okay, so you've got the team. Now, now you you... You are looking at this great big pile of video data. How did you start to see what you could do with it? And how did you start building models? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So, you know, we've got, we've got video. So if you just think of what's there, what's present, it's the words that people are speaking, the content. It's how they express that, um, both in the tone of voice and what we can see in the face. And, when you think about it, that's what a person is going to do in an interview as well. It's what you or I would want to notice if we were interviewing someone face-to-face. We're going to be listening to how they talk about something. We're going to be listening to um, whether they're saying correct, true words, right, uh, that, that are an answer to the question. And part of the challenge humans have is we don't always notice things. We are distracted. We're looking at our phone. We're thinking about the next meeting that we're going to have. Um, we often don't know what something means. Like someone says something, but I don't know if that's a good answer or a bad answer or if it's related to performance or it's just a spurious statement that they're making. That has no bearing on anything. And then we're inconsistent about sort of what we're not- like what we're noticing for. I might notice something different on Monday morning and feel differently about that than on a Friday when I've got in 20 minutes I'm headed to the mountains for a camping trip. Um, so we just really wanted to capture everything that a human could notice, um, but do it in a really consistent way um, and only pay attention to the things that actually drive performance. So we, you know, we started taking the, the video and the audio and transcribing that and building um, measures that are from the research on what, what you can notice in language. How do people use verbs? Are they using active verbs or passive verbs? Are they using first-person pronouns like I versus we? And we don't really say whether those things matter. Um, we let the algorithms kind of decide which of those features um, indicate 
you know, drive performance. Interesting, interesting. So there's got to be some some models of what performance looks like that you're building. How do you think about the 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 correlation between what the artifacts you can discover inside of the video data and um, and actual job performance? You're making predictions about that at some level. Um, I'm not even sure I can shape this question properly, but 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 I'm concerned about that that intersection and and I guess how comfortable you feel with the accuracy of your prediction. Yeah, so I think maybe we start with the, sort of the process that we use to build these models. Um, okay, that's great. So we've tried we've tried to avoid going in and saying this thing matters in this job um, because that would be sort of a human assumption, not based on data. Um, so again, I said we have a, a number of features that we extract from the video, um, but what we're doing is we're going in and we're we're working with customers and we're saying, um, okay, you've hired a thousand people with HireVue in the past. Um, who are the top performers and who are people you wouldn't really want more of in the organization? Um, and so we're always calibrating it to true performance data, and true performance data is almost an oxymoron, right? Um, right. It, it can be very subjective or it can be very objective. And we like to work with data like, um, did they stay in the job, you know, retention data or sales quota attainment data or customer satisfaction data or call handle time data in a call center. Um, so those things are fairly objective. And if the customer's like, no, I need people who can process calls quickly and have high customer satisfaction. Great, we can build a metric for that. And then, you know, we're we're taking samples of interviews and all the features that go with it and say, okay, you know, this particular person had these tens of thousands of features that we can extract out of the video. And there's tens of thousands of data points you can find over a 20-minute video of someone answering questions. That that particular combination means, you know, that that if those things are present in the interview, that person ended up being a top performer. Here's another set, and that person ended up being a top performer. They may be different in a bunch of different ways, but there's going to be some commonality. Um, and then there's this other combination of features from an interview, and you're like, you know, people who have those combinations tend to not work out. Um, and so the algorithms are great at finding these patterns in the tens of thousands of data points. Um, and we can test it, right? So we can train this algorithm on 90% of the data we get from the customer, and then we hold out 10%, and we say, great, we've got 10%. Let's run those interviews through and see how good we are at predicting performance. So we know how good the models are at making those predictions. And like any assessment that's ever been built, it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than sort of random guessing and a lot better than typically than, than the humans who are making the decisions. So, so if I'm a user and I get a set of recommendations from you um, and I don't agree with the recommendations, how do I feed that back to you? It's a great question. We get we get plenty of that feedback, right? And then we have to sort of I bet decide, you do. I bet you do. <laughs> right? And we have to decide, like, yeah, we built this because we know you're not that good at this, right? Because people just aren't. Lots of data out there that says we're not that good at selection, and we have bias. So we don't know if it's no, no. I really like that person because, and the thing that comes after the because is totally invalid. Um, we have to sort of decide whether it's that or it's oh, this is an opportunity to improve the algorithm. And so um, we have to sift through those examples and and try to decide whether it's it's good. It's we need to ignore it. And go, that's cute. You're a human. You may, you know. I know you think that that's what performance looks like, but it's not. 
or whether it's an opportunity for us to improve. And those are those are hard decisions to make. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you a hard one because it's it's kind of about me. So so I am um, an anomaly in hiring processes. I, I have a, a philosophy degree and made my career as an engineer. And in order for that to happen, the guy who hired me the first time had to violate all of the rules and policies of hiring in that engineering company. Um, right. And he did it. He did it because he saw something that wasn't a credential and it wasn't a, um, um, a, a piece of job experience. He saw something from our interactions that made him think that he wanted to have somebody like me on his team. And, I got to discover that I should have been an engineer all along. Um, um, how do you how do you how do you account for that kind of really strong and capable human judgment? There are people who have it um, yeah. um, right. inside of you. Says not everybody's got it. It would be great if you could train all recruiters and hiring managers to have it. And I buy that most don't. But some do. And one of the things that concerns me about machine driven decision-making is that it marginalizes the people who are best at making talent decisions. It's a great question. And I think what we find is that those people are the people who've hired the rock stars in the organization. They've hired the people who are really great and provided the examples that our algorithms are learning from, right? So in that organization where you were hired, this particular person hired a group of people who ended up being great like you. Um, we're learning from those examples. Um, it's and, it's a weird thing because because you, you know the, the way I frame this question a lot is how do you this is this is because I have such a great impression of myself is how do you find the Einsteins and Steve Jobs when you've got rigid yeah. hiring criteria and um, the 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 other side of that question is you don't actually want to standardize on finding those people <laughs> right it would be bad yeah. to have all Steve Jobs in your company. Um, right, and I, you know, I think I don't. I don't think that we can say that you know the the algorithms today are going to find the Einstein for a company when they couldn't find it themselves. Right? If they didn't, if no one in that organization ever thought to interview someone like that, we're going to say, hey, you should hire this person. Um, we're learning from what the organizations have done in the past, in a way. But the other thing that we can, but and so the classic argument to that is, well, doesn't that mean that the the, the profile of who gets hired narrow over time and converge to this very narrow, undiverse set. Right? Exactly. Um, exactly. And I think that's that's the fear. I think that what there's sort of two things that we think we can solve with help help improve that with. And, and the first thing is we're looking for sort of skills. We're looking for capabilities, um, not you know if somebody if you walked in to interview for this job, you're like a philosophy degree, you're out. We're not looking for that. We're looking for whatever it was that he found in you that, that ended up predicting performance. It was it communication skills, it was it your ability to think creatively, or was it your ability to look at a problem from a different angle. We'd like to be building in the kinds of questions into interviews that let someone highlight that and then say, we're looking for that skill, that ability, not the degree or the GPA or these other things that as humans we kind of just think, oh yeah, that's what is required. So we're trying to look at capabilities and skills that I think sometimes get overlooked in a traditional interview process. And then I think the the hope here is an organization 
if you think of the, the data set that HireVue has, we can look across many companies and see what makes someone successful in a particular job. And if one particular company is like, no, we only hire like this for this job, we can actually inject into the algorithm some almost chaos where we say, yeah, we know that's your profile, but we know from this bigger data set that we have that these other abilities and characteristics can also be successful and start recommending almost contrary choices that they wouldn't normally consider but have a high probability of being successful for them to consider. At the end of the day, humans make the hiring decision, but we can help shape that and in, in, introduce some chaos that will hopefully improve their decisions over time. That's interesting. Let me spit that back at you. That's, that's one of the most interesting things I've heard in a while. So, so the way that I would say that is um, machine learning processes tend to drive variability out of systems. And when you drive variability out of systems, you get sort of mediocrity. And in order to combat that, you need to introduce um, uh, novel um, data into the system so to prevent the uh, machine learning from sort of collapsing in itself. And you're talking about using the broader data set from all of your customers as a way of making sure that that happens in an individual company. Is that, that close? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, we hope that you know, we've done 6 million video interviews now around the world, and that's growing at an ever-increasing rate. We should be able to learn something from all of those interviews together that benefits all of our customers, even if, so, they, so, even if they have a blind spot to it. That's great. So, so you've, you've shifted focus somewhat from um, video interviewing to a more assessment-oriented market position, and all of a sudden, um, higher view is a regular on the I.O. psychology circuit. Um, uh, How's that going? I mean, it's 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 a remarkable idea um, that that you can take video data and use it to short circuit the traditional assessment process by by radically reducing the number of questions required to have an adequate adequate assessment once you've got the interview. Uh, right. Is is that working? That's working really well, actually, and and, and sort of going back just a little bit in the background. You know, when we first started, we were just thinking about this from an AI perspective of machine learning and can we predict outcomes from interviews? And we weren't thinking about an assessment. And we, in our minds, we thought, oh, assessments are these big 200-question tests and nobody likes them. We don't want to be like that. And customers really pushed us that way because we were going in, selling this thing they'd never heard of, and they kind of made the connection for us in a way of like, you know, this is kind of like an assessment. At first, we're like, no, 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 it's not like an assessment at all. It's a really good candidate experience. Um, but customers, well, if you think about HireVue historically, we've always been selling a product that nobody had a budget for. Nobody had budget for video interviewing software or interviewing software at all. Um, and then we put this machine learning that compounded the problem. But as soon as they started making this connection to say, well, no, we've, we have a budget for an assessment, but it turns out we don't really trust it. And we lose a lot of our best candidates when they come through the process. Could we just use HireVue as the assessment? And so that guy was kind of thinking about that, and that's when we brought in the I.O. team to say, okay, we better really figure out what it means to be an assessment. And so what we're seeing is customers replacing the traditional assessment with higher view, and it collapses the steps, right? So customers have traditionally been, okay, let's look at a re resume screen. Let's 
do an assessment, then let's do a phone screen. With our system, you can just invite everybody to interview and collapse those three steps into one step. And it's a great candidate experience because I'm just talking about myself, answering questions about my experience, and I'm getting assessed all in one step. One invitation in an email, I click a link, and I'm done. Um, and then I'm either moving on to see someone in person or I'm not. Uh, but that has had some of our customers be able to collapse their sort of time to fill from 45 days to five days. Um, and they don't lose the best candidates because they get them in quickly, they make a decision quickly, and they're not falling out because of waiting for 45 days to elapse for a decision to get made. Well, that's a, that's a pretty awesome claim. Most of the things that I see that, that involve the application of AI to assessment in the hiring process isolate a set of steps and do them better rather than collapsing the entire workflow. That's a... Uh, that's that that's a remarkable story, and you know what? I I don't think I knew that. I think I just learned that about you guys. Okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So 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 that's I think that's very interesting. Um, um, so we are closing in on the end of this half hour. What didn't we cover that we should have? Um, I you know I think that I'd love to just talk for a minute about um, bias because I think that there's a perception that these machine learning algorithms are going to be biased against a particular group. Um, or if a customer has only hired people of one gender or one uh, ethnic group, that will get propagated in the algorithms. And that is, you know, at a certain level, without some care and thought, uh, that is possible. And you hear about algorithms around, you know, recommending who gets parole that have been sort of done in a fairly thoughtless way and have propagated some bias. Everything that we're doing at HireVue in these models is designed to prevent adverse impact. Um, we measure it really carefully um, sort of on the in input side. If we see data coming in that looks really skewed um, to one group, we'll question that data very thoughtfully. Um, it turns out that even if we run those algorithms through, sometimes the bias is corrected because it's actually looking for for skills and abilities, not race and gender. Um, and we have ways to correct that, uh, either by correcting the data up front with our customer or by tweaking the algorithms to remove uh, anything in there that would predict gender, for example. So if, if one of the features that seemed to predict um, success was tone of voice, um, and it always said, well, women have a better tone of voice, and, well, all, if all of the high performers were women, then it would kind of say, okay, well, maybe tone of voice matters. We can take that out as a feature in the algorithm and still have very good predictive value, but remove any bias from the algorithm. And so I think that's a really key part as people think about these algorithms is, is your vendor thinking that through carefully? So I think I'm, I think I'm probably ahead of the learning curve on this, but it seems to me that, that, what one does with intelligence systems is manage bias rather than eradicate it. Um, and um, the, the kind of question that I end up having is, uh, it, it, it seems unlikely to me that, that if you're asking an organization who its best performers are, that you can avoid the organization's bias about what a best performer is, and it might even be irresponsible to do so. Uh, and the other, the other side of that is that there's a there's a news story um, this morning or last night about an ex Google recruiter who's suing Google because of their 
anti-white bias in their hiring processes. Um, mm. And and so so that's that's not to comment one way or the other on that, except to say that that in order to achieve diversity that maps to the local community or some standard other than what you currently have, uh, sometimes exactly what you have to do is apply corrective bias, but it is a tortured and tricky legal maneuver to get it right. Um, it's very tricky. It's very tricky. It's very complicated. It varies based on the region of the world that you're in as well. We're an international company, and so what we do in the U.S. maybe not what the customer would want to do somewhere else. Oh, that's interesting. So you really have to you really have to tune. Uh, so it's just like an assessment company. You have to tune the entire process to the needs of a specific customer and their culture. Yep, and that's how we're approaching it today. Well, how interesting. Thank you. Thank you for that that dip and, and that reminder to talk about bias. Um, so would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself and tell people how they might get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. I'm uh, Lauren Larson, the Chief Technology Officer at HireVue. I'm uh, Lauren Larson uh, on Twitter um, or Larson at HireVue.com. Thanks. We've been, we've been talking with Lauren Larson, who is the Chief Technical Officer at HireVue, uh, Salt Lake City's finest, uh, what are you, seven or eight years old now? Eight-year-old startup? Um, uh, we're 14 years old, but I, I joined four in the middle. 14. Fourteen, I boy, boy, I thought you were. You look so much younger. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, thanks for doing this, Lauren. I really appreciate thanks, you John. taking the time, and, and thanks for everybody for listening. And do do follow Higher View and pay attention to Lauren Larson. You've been listening to HR Examiner Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and we will see you here next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.